This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live podcast, where we look at the strategies behind the world's best talent acquisition teams. We talk recruiting, sourcing, and talent acquisition. Each week, we take one overcomplicated topic and break it down so that your three-year-old can understand it. Make sense? Are you ready to take your game to the next level? You're at the right spot. You're now entering the mind of a hustler. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you are listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today, we have Art on from DICE, and our topic today is a wonderful topic, is advancing equality in tech. It's probably something top of mind for every recruiter uh, out there, especially people that are doing tech recruiting in particular, um, and folks that care about pay gaps and pay inequities. Uh, so can't wait to uh, learn from Art. So Art, would you do us a favor and introduce both yourself and for those that have been living under a rock for the last 20 years, Dice? Absolutely. I really appreciate it, William. Sure. Well, my name again is Art Saley. I'm the CEO of DHI Group. We have two brands, both Dice and Clearance Jobs. And we really help recruiters, whether they're inside of staffing and recruiting agencies or inside of enterprises, to find the right technologists. And so that's our core mission. It is a mission that is relevant to both DICE and clearance jobs. And we're very excited about this particular topic. I think it's a topic that um, pervades the conversation with all of our clients, especially right now. So just just for the audience to say, because the brand DICE is, you know, we You've all done such a wonderful job. DHI has done such a wonderful job branding them through the years. Uh, clearance jobs, what's the specific focus of clearance jobs? Clearance jobs helps um, military contractors for the yeah. most part, folks like Lockheed and Raytheon and Booz Allen, Hamilton, Lidos, to find technologists that have government clearances. Got so it. think of those as secret and top secret. There's about a dozen different government clearances across both the Department of Defense and Department of Energy. So we help um, a different group of clients find technologists, software developers, engineers that are necessary for these large-scale military programs. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, That's fantastic. I know the site, uh, but I I just, I wanted to make sure the audience uh, understood. I really appreciate that. No worries. So advancing equality in tech, where, 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 where do we start with this? Well, it's interesting. You know, when I have this conversation with our clients, I make sure that they understand where the industry itself stands today with regard to diversity. And you can't use typical Bureau of Labor statistics or U.S. Census Bureau statistics to talk about the technology industry itself. Um, We like to use a report that came out from the U.S. Equal Economic Opportunity Commission, and it's called Diversity in Tech. And it basically says that the benchmark today is that about 68% of all tech workers in the United States are white, um, 7% are black, 14% are Asian, and 8% are Hispanic. So that's the state of the industry today. And there's a big discussion on how we could do better Um, And we can go into a lot of uh, different veins of that particular discussion, but I think that there are ways that recruiters can eliminate the bias from their searches and really focus in deeply on skills and experience. And that should have an effect of lifting those um, diversity statistics over the course of time for our industry. 
So the excuse that you and I hear most often uh, is there's not enough diverse candidates. Yes, I would say that that is true, although that is changing pretty rapidly. I'd say that we're seeing statistics associated with CompSci and other majors in the United States across universities and colleges increasing in their diversity. And so I would say you might describe the number of candidates, the candidate pool as being shallow in the past, but it's changing today. I also think that there's a nice theme associated with uh, cross-training and people moving from other occupations into technology successfully. And there's been recent articles, even in the Wall Street Journal um, just a week ago, that talk about that phenomena of cross-training that's very relevant to improving the pool of diverse candidates. So it's it's an excuse from the past, not for the present and the future. Yeah, I love the, I love the transferable skills, and then and then again, you've kind of tied that into you know investing and in skilling people up, uh, and and bringing people, pulling people forward. Yes, that's exactly right. I think that those two trends are incredibly important. I, I do think that there is this, uh, you know, a, a problem mechanically with supply and demand across the entire candidate pool. So it doesn't even you right. know, talk to the fact that. Um, There's a lack of diverse candidates. There's just a lack of candidates in general. Uh, The statistics show that in the year 2019, before the pandemic, there were 1 million unfilled tech positions. And um, the statistics that we saw at the beginning of this year indicate that we're seeing the largest number of tech job openings in history with the backdrop of an unemployment rate for the sector of 1.3% in March. So there's just not enough candidates in general. And we're not plugging that hole with uh, enough comp sci majors and other technical degrees. And clearly the H-1B program is not doing its job to essentially bring um, diverse candidates and other candidates from other countries. It's almost like we're applying Moore's law to candidate tech candidates, right? It's just, it's, re- it's repeating on a factor and we're not, we, we're not, we can't catch up. That's exactly right. That's a a brilliant way of describing it. The demand is increasing faster than the supply, and there is no solution that we see in sight. So people are trying to find diverse candidates. They're trying to find any candidates. (laughs) Somebody with a pulse. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Again, you know, CompTIA saying that the unemployment rate is 1.3% for the month of March. That's just, you know, a mind boggling. That is that it's insane. Um, what do you what are your thoughts on on skilling people up or harvesting talent? So you know maybe early stage career folks or people coming from a, a completely different uh, background altogether and they don't have any skills, any tech skills, but they have the attitude and aptitude. So they but they they want to learn. Like, do you think companies need to start looking at okay? How do we partner with our local community college? How do we partner with, you know, how do we build this ourselves? Uh, or so the larger companies yeah, are doing that right yeah. now, and I think successfully. Like Amazon, for example, has a multi-million-dollar effort to work with, um, you know, the smaller community colleges and other forms of training to essentially reskill their warehouse workers. And so I believe that you can see that trend play out over the next decade as companies realize the supply demand gap requires them to do that. The other interesting area is code academies. 
So we've seen a number of different code academies emerge. I just don't think that the numbers are large enough to make them, you know, effectively a real influence on the total tech job postings that we're seeing in the United States today. But these larger companies that are putting meaningful dollars into their own training programs and into the community colleges, I see that as a viable trend for the future. What, what type of uh, uh, you know, roundish number, what type of tech postings or what, what, what quantity of uh, tech postings you're all dealing with on a, on a month uh, basis? Okay, so we, on a monthly basis, we're seeing across the industry roughly 400,000 uh, open tech postings <sighs> at the end of March. Oh now, God. for the entire quarter, right. it was roughly 1.1 million open tech postings. And what's um, you know unbelievable about that figure is that it's up 47% over Q1 of 2021. So 47% growth in open tech postings for Q1 of this year. Well, the good news is the the economy, right? So the good news is, okay, we're, we're growing. I mean, it, it might not show up in some of the things that, that economists would see, but but job postings are a great indicator of things are going well, because, yes. <laughs> right? So Absolutely. the good news is, is things are going well. The bad news is, uh, yeah, we can't fill those positions. And, and some of them, you know, because I know a lot of employer branding folks, they fill a pipeline. And so they, they're not, they're, they're not necessarily job openings as much as a talent pipeline, which I despise, but I'll leave that there. Um, um, but it's still kind of, it highlights 50, well, close to 50% growth in just a year. That's insane. Um, we, we, uh, we, we, you know, in our title, we talk about advancing equality, which is different. You know, when we think of diversity, inclusion, equity, equality, um, uh, and belonging, um, equality doesn't get talked about as much as, as some of those other ones. What's kind of what's your working definition or what do you like to talk about when you think about equality? Equality, I think, is basically saying that you're taking out the bias associated with anything that could affect a decision in the tech domain other than skills and experience. Mm. And so from our perspective, what we're seeing is uh, people using a a new capability that we released uh, last year called unbiased sourcing, which takes out a picture in the profile of the candidates. It also anonymizes their name. So if their name was Jim Jones, it would, it would essentially say J J he's from Guyana. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. Sorry. And then, uh, then they would also uh, anonymize the college that, or university experience that the person oh, that's had. Cool. And so that ability to eliminate bias is super important. We're also seeing a huge trend in our virtual career events division towards sourcing based on diversity. So we have career events, and again, these are all virtual these days, that are entirely uh, focused on gender or uh, racial diversity, depending upon the event itself. But we've seen an enormous increase in the demand for those events. I love that. And again, getting back to not just eradicating bias and making more transparent around bias, because we're all have preferences and biases. And it's kind of getting in touch with and learning from your bias and learning how to, to manage it. But I love the focus of all of that being back on skills and experience. You yes. know, 
do you have this? Do you have the skills? Or if it's aspirational, do you want the skills? Um, if do you have the experience? Do you want the experience? So in some of those, it, it could be even aspirational, which is fine. Uh, if if the person, if the candidate has the, if the co- company has the wherewithal to train the person, and the candidate wants to be trained, then you know that might be. But you, what I love about it is that the focus on skills, the experience, it's a great leveler. Yes, absolutely. And I have to say that people ask us, well, why are folks um, changing jobs? You know, mm. how, how do you essentially? lure technology candidates to your opportunity. <laughs> What's your secret? <laughs> yes. What is the secret? And you know, the, the surveys that we've done, and we do surveys of technologists every year, multiple times per year, it consistently says, well, they move for better compensation, but you'd be surprised the, the third highest factor is actually for training and skills. And so I always say that's one of the things that's a real differentiator. If you could offer that to your technology group, if you could provide them better training, um, they're going to essentially factor that very heavily into their decision. In fact, we always say at at Dice that the half-life of a technology skill is roughly about five years. Yep. And I joke about the fact that when I came out of uh, the Air Force, I was an Air Force officer, I was a Fortran programmer. Ah, I took on. Fortran. <laughs> it's it's around, but you wouldn't find many jobs on the Dice platform asking for yeah, Fortran like programming. Cobalt. So it's, it's one of those situations where skills change so rapidly in the technology envi- environment. Yeah. If you could offer people those new skills, that will attract them. I think I think that's I, what I'm seeing is uh, with tech talent is is very similar. It's it's that's a part of the package. It's, it's almost table stakes at this point um, that, you know, yes, you're going to be having a, you know, a, an aggressive compensation uh, and benefits and all of that. So you remote, you know, whatever you need. And Oh, by the way, we have uh, access to all kinds of different training and there's all kinds of different ways to do that uh, training. But I, I think that it, it, it's, if, if folks listening to this, think that training is going to be the thing that moves the needle um it it might it it, it's definitely important but it's almost table stakes you're gonna have to go further than just training training that leads to something maybe even internal mobility like we're going to train you you want to learn python you're going to learn python and once you learn python it's going to open up these nine doors yes running a clear career path as well right exactly so um it's it's interesting when I first looked at the uh, the topic, I thought about kind of some of the marginalized folks. I had a conversation recently with a fellow that runs a, a job site that basically deals with felons, and uh, and uh, you know he's just, we were just brainstorming one day, and he's just like you know William, there's 70 million Americans with felons that are with felonies. He was like, that's like. <laughs> That's a, a large number when you have 331 million people in America. So he goes, we're going to have to figure out a way to leverage them. I mean, not all felonies are the same. And the length between felonies and, and non is not the same. You know, uh, no one's saying, you know, hire a murderer. But there's a bunch of talent out here that we're just not thinking of. And that was just one example. You know, there's great other examples of, of folks that we're just going to have to think differently about. Totally agree with that. And, and the sentiment that, you know, those folks that essentially made one mistake and utterly changed the course of their career and their lives, 
I, I personally am a believer that the you know political system should do something to expunge those records faster or to essentially you know differentiate, as you stated, um, between felonies that are very, very serious felonies and maybe felonies that that have less of a serious nature to them or would be considered to be minor felonies, although even that you know is, is a strange concept. But I do believe that uh, we need to be much more inclusive and you know ultimately forgiving of those people that made those mistakes many, many years ago and maybe in a domain that they uh, that, that is no longer relevant. Right. A lot right of the well, felonies are tied tied to drugs, and obviously yep. the you know the the laws associated with marijuana in particular are changing very rapidly. Yeah, and, and again, that talent's just sitting there, and again, yes. you know, it's it's it gets to the heart of the question of you know whether or not we're in the business of punishment or rehabilitation. If we're if we and maybe that's based on the the crime um, or the or the nature of the crime. But if we're re- if we're actually rehabilitating these folks and they want a career in tech, <laughs> it seems like yeah, there's, there's, there's plenty of openings. It seems like yeah, there's plenty of openings. It seems like we could kind of match these together. Um, you know, when when folks first when they come to you because you, you you have such a wonderful vista with tech talent and 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 also a wonderful history with tech talent and and, and being there for them. Uh, in good times and bad and things like that, where 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 do folks need to start if they're thinking about equality, and they're thinking about this? Okay, we're going to reduce bias. What are the what's kind of your your your? I want to say table stakes, but that's not the right way of thinking about. It. What's the playbook that you say? Okay, all right. So you're you're ready, you're willing, you're able. Okay, well let's talk about how we're going to get there. Absolutely, that's a great question. So, in my opinion the very first part of the playbook is to understand how diverse candidates look at the tech experience today. And that is you know, best seen by looking at our equality in tech report, which shows that the answers to certain questions um, are, are pretty profound. Like we asked the question, how frequently do you think gender and or racial inequality occurs in the tech industry? And 57% of black respondents believe that they have um, experienced that. Whereas the number for white respondents is 30%. So understanding, you know, the the nature of where we stand today, I think is super important. Then I think the second is to essentially make sure you are training your recruiters on their biases. Uh, We at DHI group had um, bias training last year. Specifically, we had two courses that were, well, we used via a partner named Partner to or Power to Fly that focused on unbiased or unconscious bias and then also being an alley at work. Being it's called allyship training. And so I think starting someplace where you're training people about their biases so that you can eliminate them either through you know conscious effort or through the tool that I described earlier, our unbiased sourcing toggle on dice. And then you know, you have to go out of your way to hire diverse candidates. In my opinion, the idea of having uh, diversity-focused career events is very relevant. Uh, putting yourself on job boards that essentially uh, focus on diverse clients. There's a job board that we use called diversityjobs.com. Power to Fly itself has a great job board for posting um, positions that attract a diverse clientele. So again, in my opinion, it comes down to 
making sure you understand the nature of the environment, understand the statistics around diversity today, training your people, and then making sure that you have an actual conscious strategy around how to hire diverse candidates that's going to be successful. What are candidates? What do, what do, what do they care about right, as it relates to equality? What are the questions that they're asking? What do you, what do you, what thematically, what are you seeing in surveys that they care about today that maybe they didn't care about, you know, a couple of years ago? That's so interesting that you should ask that. I, I would say that we are seeing a very strong theme that respondents to our surveys are factoring in the company's DEI positioning as part of their decision-making process as to whether or not they're going to work for the company. So if you think about these candidates having so many different opportunities, like I said, you know, hundreds of thousands of unfilled positions and almost a close to zero unemployment rate, not only are they going to get the compensation that they want making a switch to another company, but they can also uh, go to the company that has the same mission and values and the culture that they believe is relevant for you know, their lifestyle. So we are seeing that over half of the respondents to these surveys indicate that DEI is actually a tangible factor in their decision-making process. So if the company doesn't have a way of describing that accurately, or if, if they just, you know, don't just don't uh, um, attend to it at all, they're going to be losing in the war for tech talent. That's, that's a clear message that comes out of this equality um, in tech survey that we just released. It's interesting that you, you mentioned it because that was going to be my next question is how do they render it? How does a company render it? Because I've seen job postings lately where there's a remote or, or a workplace kind of a statement like we're hybrid, we're remote, we're remote forever, you know, whatever this position is, whatever the bit is. And then there's something about diversity uh, programmatically and maybe even, you know, here's how we spend money in diversity but I haven't seen things that are specifically around bias and, and equality. And I think it's just a wonder, even if it's on maybe not a job description, maybe it's a, the careers page, but just explicitly explaining, you know, here's our stance. Here's where our journey, here's what we're learning. Here's how we're trying. Here's where we're going. So I think that's going to become part of the conversation and part of these career pages much more in the future. Mm. And I can tell you that as a public company, there is an emerging, um, well, I would say momentum around ESG as a concept yep. and stating your position about um, ESG topics. For our purposes at DICE, we have company pages that our clients can buy where they could essentially talk about their tech stack, you know, the, the technologies that they're using inside of the, their core architecture, but equally they can talk about what it's like to be in the culture of the company, their commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion, what they're doing from a training perspective, how they are attending to marginalized communities. So there, there is a lot you can do to explain the nature of this, the, your statement around DEI and in the case of public companies, I think it's going to be forced uh, yeah, I was about to say. That within the near future, like the next one to two years. It's, uh, I've been reading a lot about that lately, and it's, uh, it's, fast, it's fascinating because it's not just reporting on what we used to think of as you know, earnings or profit or revenue or any of the kind of the normal things that we would do in an earnings call. 
we're going to now do that stuff as well as also report, you know, people data. Yes. Which I think is very, very healthy. And I think that I do too. once, once people see that data available for all these public companies, they're going to be able to understand where they, you know, benchmark against those companies for sure. And then they will also hopefully have a best practice associated with those companies that have the larger budgets, the larger means, the ability to speak out publicly, and hopefully they lead the way. I, I believe that, you know, in the public domain, you're forced to a higher threshold of performance. Hopefully that pulls along all private companies as well. I love that. I also love the fact that y'all went through training. You've invested in partnerships and invested in your own folks. Because I, I view biases, especially hiring biases, as like an onion. You, you peel you peel a little bit and all of a sudden you discover other things that you just didn't see before. So I love the fact that you've you know put your money where your mouth is. You, you care about these things enough to then uh, hire outside experts to help y'all take y'all through a process so you can start learning what's well, there, what's, what's there and, you know, how to unpack it. You know, um, I'm fully committed to it here at DHI group. And in fact, this year we have three training sessions and they focus on belonging, the concept of belonging at work. So, uh, the first one is the power of belonging at work. The second is navigating microaggressions in the workplace. And the third is having hard conversations through the lens of belonging. So we're, we're training our folks, uh, continuously on, what we consider to be the relevant DEI topics uh, today. Well, see, that's important because it's important for the audience to hear as an example and publicly traded company, but it's also, it's important that this, you know, this is where budget is being spent because you care. And again, you care because it's, it's healthier for everybody. So Art, I love the subject. I love it. I know you're crazy busy. So thank you for your time and thank you for coming on the podcast. No, really appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. And thanks for everyone listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Until next time. You've been listening to the Recruiting Live Podcast by Recruiting Daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at Recruiting.